I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the 100th episode of the Wong Takes. Sounds crazy to be even saying that, but here we are, number 100. Um, By the way, my mic is on the borderline of breaking um the $12 mic that I got off of Amazon as it turns out is about worth $12 and so that's what's going on there but either way thank you so much for staying with me and if you've listened to one episode or all hundred uh it's been great having you I personally just love talking about sports whether it's just to friends or to total strangers or whatever, uh, it's what I love to do, and that's why I keep doing it. Now, I don't know what the future is going to hold for this, because I'm going to college soon, so I, I, I don't know if I'm going to have time or or the space to do this, or the resources for that matter. But uh, I'll definitely let you know by the end of the summer, um, because that's actually coming a lot quicker than it may seem. So, uh, I, I was I was thinking about maybe doing something special uh, for 100, but I'm, I've been pretty busy the last few weeks, and also I just don't really know what I could do that would be special. Um, and, and I don't think anything could really be more special than what the sports world has granted us the last couple of weeks, uh, even though it's the summer, which is typically, you know, the slow time. In the sports calendar, it's still been uh, a fun time to be a sports fan. Uh, particularly here in the U.S., and so uh, I think we've got plenty to talk about. Who knows? Maybe since it's the 100th episode, we'll go a little longer today. Uh, but I, I suppose that, that we'll cross that bridge uh, when we get there. So thank you for 100. Um, here's to 100 more, I guess. Uh, we'll, 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 we'll see. We'll see. Tell you, tell you what we'll see. And to kick off this 100th episode of The Wong Takes, we are going to talk about NBA free agency because since I signed off nearly two weeks ago, so many things have happened. And uh, I don't, there's not really a singular place to start, but we're going to have to try to find one. Um, And that place is going to be with what happened to the Brooklyn Nets. They hit the jackpot in one evening. I was at a Giants game, and I was coming back. Or no, I was at a Giants game when someone put out, I think it was Woj put out the news that said KD is going to decide by 6 Eastern, uh, which was 3 Pacific, and that was a 105 game. So I was like, this news is going to come while I'm at this game. Um, and I, I thought, I hoped, and I'm not sure if I thought, but I hoped he was going to stay put. He didn't, obviously. Um, and when that news came in, that was a little little tough. Uh, I think it came out at around 2 Pacific. And he's going to Brooklyn. And then just a little while later, or I think, no, earlier, before that, Kyrie's going to Brooklyn. And so that's going to be an interesting team. Uh, Kevin Durant, I think, has accomplished all that 
he wanted to accomplish in Golden State. I mean, part of it was restoring his reputation and his legacy a little bit. And I, I think he, he did that by winning two championships and, more importantly, two finals MVPs. So people could throw out that uh, retort. Uh, he also scored 27 points a game in this last season, and he still remained one of the elite scorers. And his stock, uh, I think, overall increased uh, during his three-year tenure in Golden State. He also won some championships, so now he can fully embrace the I want to dictate my own narrative role. Um, and I, I think one of the interesting things he did was when he left Golden State, he also left behind the number 35, which is emblematic of him, really. I mean, he has become associated with that number. His Twitter handle is KDTray5, which is 35. His business venture thing is 35-something. So he he's become associated with that number. And it's really interesting that he's deciding to leave it behind. I don't know if that's because he's, you know, done everything he wants to do or if he wants this to be a new chapter or whatever, but he's now going to wear the number seven. And maybe he wants to take over two numbers. But the Warriors are probably going to retire his number. And so that'll be nice to, to be in the last, to be the last place that he wore that number. And that's going to be pretty cool. Um, and I think he really made some lifelong friends at, in Golden State. And he said as such in his departure little memo. And I believe him because he seemed to really have a good time. Even though even though he disagreed with people at some times. People are saying Draymond is the reason he left. But nevertheless, uh, the NBA is a brotherhood. And it, and, and it will remain as such over there. Uh, or he'll remember fondly his time. Kyrie, meanwhile, was all but out the door going into this free agency season. And it was a little bit hectic about where he was going to go. He ended up going to Brooklyn. Uh, and that's going to be an interesting dynamic because the memes were out of control about these two. Mostly it was about Kyrie is sensitive and flat earth whatever. If he, I don't know if he actually believes it or not, but he hasn't really said he does, doesn't. And you've got KD, arguably the most sensitive person in the NBA, uh, going out at, lashing out at trolls and attacking media who don't like him and all that stuff. And so that's going to be, especially with the media, I think, one of the more interesting dynamics uh, over the next couple of years. And also within the team, I mean, the two seem to get along. Um... During the All-Star break, they seem really chummy, uh, and it, it doesn't seem like uh, they're going to argue all the time. Now, they'll probably have arguments because they're two big personalities that uh, are going to want a lot of attention, even if they don't say it out loud. Um, and so I, I don't know necessarily if that's going to work out. But I think also part of what Brooklyn has done here is... Uh, kind of demonstrated the the shift a little bit uh, away from, or shift out of the era of kind of the effect of, of legacy or so. Because the Knicks, for all their desires and needs, 
didn't end up getting any of the big name free agents. Now they got some good, you know, role players and and mid level starters, but they didn't get any of the humongous names. You know, the the Katies, the Kyries, the I don't know Kawhi Leonard's. And I I heard this point, and I think it's very, very valid, and that's that. The Madison Square Garden and the allure of the Knicks doesn't really mean much anymore uh, in today's NBA. And even though Brooklyn plays in a much less storied arena, um, they still were able to get these two big free agents. And I think that speaks to the fact that if you're an owner or a franchise or a GM you really can't be complacent and rest on your laurels you have to develop a a culture like what Brooklyn was able to do uh, like in the playoff series against Philadelphia first of all they made it to the playoffs but in the playoff series against Philadelphia they developed this kind of reputation as fun and kind of gritty and just like a a good place to be and I, I think that's what Katie and Kyrie saw and the reason they decided to go there. You can't just hope that people will come. You have to attract them somehow. And in that way, it's the same it's always been. Now, that doesn't mean the big city alert isn't still there. It's still there. I mean, Brooklyn is still in New York and the Clippers are still in LA. But I think particularly if you're like in a big market, but you're not really a good team, you need to work. You you can't hope that someone will come. You have to bring them there. Now the other big news, uh, major news, that shocked everyone was Kawhi and Paul George to the Clippers. Now, like the KD Kyrie news, I heard this while I was actually coming back from a Giants game. I was on the train. It was like 11 at night and I got this alert that Kawhi had made his decision and he was going to the Clippers. It didn't seem like they were really in the running anymore. It looked like the Lakers and the Raptors, but he decided to go there. And the reason we would find out just 10 minutes later with a Woj bomb or Woj nuke that Paul George was heading to the Clippers and the reason Kawhi and the reason he was was because he had forced a trade because Kawhi had negotiated with him or told him to come to the Clippers. And that kind of sparked, I don't know, sparked the there really is no person who's safe from being traded or released. or Everyone's a free agent, essentially. I mean, Paul George was locked into a, or not locked, he was in a four-year deal. Last year was a player option. And Kawhi got him to request a trade out after his first year, which is remarkable. And that trade actually ended up kind of looking like a win-win because the Thunder got a lot back. Because the Clippers knew if they got Paul George, they were going to get Kawhi. So they were paying for Paul George and Kawhi, but they only gave it to one team, OKC. And so OKC gets basically a future out of Paul George, who is a superstar, but not a singular player that can take you to a championship, especially not how this NBA is shaping. And so the Clippers, I think, now have a real shot to contend 
for a championship and contend for that one seed. Oh, and so do the Nets, by the way. Uh, the, the East is crazier now than it's ever been. But the Clippers uh, have a chance to kind of get out of the war. It, it's shifting because for a while the Clippers were under the Warriors' shadow because if you remember in 2012, 2013, that was a real rivalry. And then the Warriors just went way ahead of them, won championships, built a dynasty. And the Clippers kind of just fell off. They ended up trading away the big three that was part of Lob City. And now they're starting a new era. And and they needed to move on, and they're able to do that. And this is probably, ignore the phone, their best chance to win a championship that they've ever had as a franchise. I think it's interesting that Kawhi was able to do all this negotiation and in this era of social media and leaks and reporter reporters that are famous now that somehow this whole business with Kawhi and PG didn't leak I am astonished I mean Kawhi Leonard is quickly becoming one of the most well-known players in the NBA for a guy who doesn't maybe want to be he's becoming one of the most notorious figures in the NBA he essentially has the Spurs at his mercy and just doesn't tell them anything. Then he decides to go to Toronto, or gets traded to Toronto, wins a championship in his first year, and then masterminds this deal where he gets a player who's in a long-term deal out of it, gets him traded, and teams up in L.A. This is going to be a really, really fun year. And a year where there are like six or seven teams that you could see realistically winning a championship. And maybe 12 making a championship run. And that's the first time you can say that in a long time. Uh, there were a lot of other moves uh, throughout the NBA over the last few weeks. I mean, the NBA really is a year-round sport now. Because the dra- or the season, it, it may seem like a while, but the season ended like three weeks ago. Three and a half weeks ago. And then we had the draft. And then we had free agency, the start of free... We even had pre-free agency with, like, illegal or legal tampering. I don't really know the tampering rule. And now we've got Summer League, and then the season's going to start in, like, three months. The NBA is quickly becoming, like, one of the... Or probably the biggest sport in America, with especially the younger demographic... Um, and also just as far as trajectory, because everything is year-round. So the Celtics lost Kyrie Irving, of course, but they gained another point guard, an all-star point guard, possible franchise-changing point guard, Kemba Walker. Now, he may fly under the radar because he's on the Hornets, and they seemingly go 41-41 and 41 every year, but... This guy can score. Almost 20 points per game last season. Um, and I think that's a little lower than his usual. This is an elite scorer. And so going to Boston, where he'll get a little more exposure, he'll get to really run the team, especially now that Al Horford's gone. Gordon Hayward doesn't look like a guy that can step up to fill the void that Kyrie left, and I think Kemba's going to be the one to do that. And he's kind of the antithesis of Kyrie in many respects. He doesn't want the, you know, the paparazzi on him. I mean, no one does. But he doesn't want that kind of 
scrut like scrutiny attached to him. He doesn't want that the media on him all the time. He says the right things, um, and, and he seems like a guy that can really ingratiate himself to Boston and also to that crowd really quickly. Um, and I think he will, and I think that's a good thing to have for the Celtics, a guy with a little less drama. Um, I think that's what he can bring uh, over there. Also, Boogie Cousins went to the Lakers. I think that's interesting to pair him back with Anthony Davis, where they played with the Pelicans two years ago, in addition to LeBron James. Now, if Boogie can get back to full strength, that means the Lakers are going to specialize in playing a little bit big. And I think we could end up seeing a little bit of a shift, and we may be starting to see that away from the peak of jump shooting days, which is maybe like two years ago, and a little more toward a little more balanced offense, away from the style of basketball that, say, the Houston Rockets play. Right, The Rockets kind of represented the epitome of you know, Mori ball, right? And now we're kind of shifting away from that a little bit. And I think the Lakers could be a, uh, kind of the start of that. Imagine you got LeBron running the point, which is sounds like the Lakers are going to have him do. Tosses it down to Anthony Davis, can back you down. Also can find Boogie, who can space the floor a little bit. That's a pretty deadly combination. And if all of those players are at full strength, that's... Going to be something to fear in the West. And by the way, that that uh, division, even though we kind of got rid of the meaningfulness of divisions a few years ago, that division is quickly shaping up to be the one of the best in the NBA. I mean, you got the Warriors, obviously. You got the Clippers with Kawhi and Paul George, and now you got the Lakers with LeBron, AD, and Boogie. That is a deadly side of the NBA landscape. Uh, also, Jimmy Butler going to Miami, and possibly Russell Westbrook. That's going to be interesting. Those are two also big personalities. Uh, Russell Westbrook plays very, very hard, and I think that'll take some of the stress off of Jimmy. Uh, and I think we might see him fit into a role similar to what he did with the Sixers. That could be a good team as well. Throw in Dion Waiters, who's a, a valuable player. Uh, get rid of us on Whiteside, and you're looking toward more of a a drive-and-kick style offense, and I think that's what they could run over in Miami. And then, of course, left in all this is Golden State, who lost uh, some bench players, lost uh, Quinn Cook, lost, obviously, Kevin Durant, uh, and some other players, and gaining D'Angelo Russell. I don't think, honestly, I mean, I I want them to because I'm a fan. I don't think the Warriors should be the favorites to even, or I think the Warriors are going to even struggle to have home court advantage uh, in the playoffs. I'm not going to go so as far as to say they won't make the playoffs, but I think they'll struggle to get home court. If you look at their roster, Klay Thompson's going to be out uh, for the first six or seven months of the year. So you've got Steph and D'Angelo Russell, both good shooters. Um, and I think D'Angelo Russell's he really picked himself up in Brooklyn, and I think he can continue to do so in Golden State. You throw in Draymond and maybe Willie Cauley-Stein, and you've got a roster that can still compete for a title, uh, obviously. That's a really strong roster. You've still got three All-Stars. But they're going to return back to the days before Kevin Durant was there, and I've said this many times, but... 
when you're missing, when you're down a few players, or when you're tired, who are you going to turn to? Steph has shown that even though he's brilliant, he can get tired at times. We haven't seen incredible consistency out of D'Angelo Russell. Draymond Green is not a shooter. And so, who is going to come out of that little bench, or who's going to come out of that bench and be able to make a difference? I think McKinney has a chance to emerge this year. Looney has a chance to build on his really good postseason play. But it's going to be tough for them. And I think there's a chance that they could lose, you know, four or five games in a row. They could get in skids. And that's not really something you saw when Durant was was there. We will see more of the, you know, basketball porn style of offense where they swing the ball around all the time and when it's when it's on, it's like the prettiest thing in the world. And I'm glad about that. And we got a little taste of that in the playoffs. But we also got a taste of it in the playoffs. If Durant's out too long, people get tired. It's tough uh, to, to keep up that level of energy and that level of play. And the Warriors are still... The one thing I will say for the Warriors is they're still going to have that target on their back, right? Because they are you know, three-time champion in the last five years. And they still got Steph and Clay and Draymond. But they're going to have a little less of a target on their backs. That target is going to shift over to the Clippers and the Lakers and the Nets now. It's weird to say the Nets are good. I remember when they were like 0-18. And the Nets now. And so they maybe will not get, you know, 100% effort from other teams every night because those other teams know that there are better teams in the league. And so maybe that'll help them win a few more games. But I think the Warriors are going to win maybe like, you know, 55 games this year, maybe something like that. Uh, They'll still be really good, but it's going to be tough for them to win the conference. So the NBA landscape has changed so much over the last few weeks. Um, And we're going to have as much parity as we've had in quite a while. And I'm really excited uh, to watch the upcoming season, even if my team isn't going to be as good. Topic number two. This is a really big week for soccer in the United States. Uh, First off, the U.S. women's national team winning the World Cup. It's remarkable that they conceded, I think, like two or three times the entire tournament. Uh, I don't know the most about soccer, but I know that that's not that many goals. And they also broke a record for the most goals scored in a World Cup. I think that was greatly assisted by the 13-0 route of Thailand. Um, but nevertheless, still impressive. And the atmosphere, I think, was kind of indicative of how, especially in the U.S. and uh, or the U.S. women's soccer is kind of be is is really emerging, like it hasn't in years past. I mean, in years past, it's gotten a lot of recognition, but this year, um, the nation there was a lot more buzz, I think, surrounding the team, and in particular with respect to, to, to social issues and relevant issues. Um, the, the Nike ad, I think, was one thing. Megan Rapino, you know, standing up and standing and speaking her views, uh, I think was kind of a, a marker of how the discussion is really starting to happen in the limelight now. And it's not just happening, happening peripherally. Uh, it, it's happening right there in front of your face, and you can't miss it. Now, the reason that it's become such a big issue is because it's being compared to the men's team. The men's team uh, played in the Gold Cup, which is the North American Championship, and lost in the final to Mexico. Uh, Interestingly, and it's always this way, but the crowd was like 80% Mexican. 
in Soldier Field in Chicago, which is like, you know, really, really far from the border. But there's still not the enthusiasm for men's soccer or women's soccer that there is for other sports. And I think the and as women's soccer starts to catch up or or starts to grow continues to grow. I mean as teams start <coughs> what I meant to say as teams start to catch up to the US, uh we're going to see more of that type of uh you know competition in the stands, I think. But the the men's team is not playing as well and they haven't risen to a world level. But they've got a lot of young talent. Uh, Pulisic, for one, and many other players uh, that I've seen in the news. You know, I don't know a ton about soccer. But it'll be really interesting to see the trajectory of these two teams over the next four or five years as, as the men's team goes through another World Cup qualifying cycle after the embarrassment of two years ago. Uh, that was near the beginning of the Wong Takes run. Uh, and the women continue to play well um, and, and, and try to three-peat at the World Cup. Obviously a lot changes in four years, but they've got uh, young stars and they'll be returning a lot of players. And the people that'll be aging out are not... Although Rapino did win the Golden Boot, but she had like four penalties. And so I think they still have a chance to be dominant. Um, but the world's going to catch up. And I, I, I'm kind of curious how the dynamic will shift over the next few years, if women's soccer will overtake men's in popularity, which I doubt is going to happen just because, you know, there's, there's, there are asymptotes. And even if we don't want them to be there, they're there. And that whole thing will be kind of fun to track. Topic three, the Home Run Derby, which was last night. Uh, it's Tuesday, July 9th, 2019. And it was a blast. I got, eh, no pun intended. It was a blast. Pete Alonso won, beating Vlad Guerrero Jr. in the final. But the real show was with Vladdy and Jock Peterson of the L.A. Dodgers in the semifinal round. They not only were tied with 29 home runs, which is the record, at the end of the regulation, they went into a one-minute uh one-minute competition where they each hit eight home runs, and they tied again. And they went into a three-swing swing-off. The first one ended tied, and the second one, Vlad won with, by his final of 2-1, to one, ending with 40 home runs in the round and ending up with 91 home runs in the entire derby. And people were kind of complaining that Vlad wasn't the winner, and I was one of those people. I was legitimately disappointed when he lost because I was – kind of rooting for him at that point after what he had done he had beaten the, the dodger and also just put on a show and he he was the star of the night a hundred percent and i think deserved to win it but i i have a solution i think i have a solution i think i have a new format now just like any format there are pros and cons but let me say it first keep the timing the timing including the bonus timing and i love that everyone loves that I think all three rounds, though, should start with eight competitors, just like it does. And then everyone hits, and the top four move on to the next round. And then everyone hits again, and the top two move on to the next round, and then they swing again. But the, the thing that would make this distinct is each round will be scored on total home runs hit. So after the first round, you have the top four. 
And then after the next round, or you take the top four most hit. That's easy. And after the next round, everyone hits again, and you take the top two who have hit the most total home runs. And then you keep doing that. And that way, the winner will have hit the most home runs in the entire competition. Now, I think that has the potential to work. Now, the, the, the problem with this is you get rid of some of the drama, right? Because you don't have but the potential for a walk-off in every round. A lot of the fun of this format <coughs> is kind of the chase, right? The first batter goes up, hits a number, sets a number, and the second one knows what they has to, have to hit and comes up and chases that, and that happens every single round. Now, that this will eliminate some of the drama with the exception of the final round. It could just be a walk-off, and that would be awesome uh, to keep. But what it does is it allows people like Vladdy, who have a dominant performance, to win, and for it to really be indicative of what happened in the Home Run Derby. And you could have the same tiebreakers, but those home runs wouldn't count towards your total, right? Because that would be unfair. And I think you still get some of the excitement of the chase, particularly with the later hitters, because they know what number they have to hit. And people will be watching off to the side, <coughs> seeing if they get eliminated. I think that has the potential to work. Now, maybe it needs a couple of trial runs in the minor leagues or whatever, but I think if you have that format, you, you, you get a little more of the meritocracy and a little less of the gimmicks. While you still get the timing and the, the, the really, most importantly, the pace that everyone loves, which is going quickly uh, and, and having a lot of home runs. And, and you wouldn't lessen the amount of home runs. In fact, you'd have more home runs because people wouldn't stop if they walked off. And maybe a little less of the drama, but maybe some of those dynamics I can't tell unless it was really implemented. I think a secondary option, if that's too drastic, which it very well might be, Although it's the home run derby, so who cares? Is to have the same form, have the same format as you do now, with the home run totals being reset after every round, but just reseed. And so that way you get Vladdy going against Pete Alonso in the second round when he's a little more fresh, and then you get maybe Vladdy and Jock in the final round. That would be really entertaining. Um, but a lot of the problem with the home run derby, and there's, it's really going to be this way no matter how you slice it, is fatigue. Because, you know, Vladdy in the last round was very, very tired. And people don't really want to see, or people aren't as impressed by endurance, or they don't want to tune in as much to see an endurance competition. They want to see people hit homers. And the final can end up being anticlimactic in, base, in nearly every home run derby because people aren't hitting as many home runs because they're tired. And there's really no way around that. So that's kind of a... Uh, inevitable problem with the home run derby but that being said all this complaining uh this home run derby was uh, particularly that semi-final was probably the most fun i've had watching all-star weekend uh in a long time uh and i i don't think i was around to really see josh hamilton's 28 home run performance in 2008 um but i can imagine it was a similar buzz uh as what we saw last night uh, and i think the Home Run Derby is still the premier event of All-Star Weekend, as it's really been since they did the format change. I apologize for coughing. I've had to cough the last couple of weeks. Sorry if it hurt anyone's ears. Okay. Quick take. 
There's been a lot of talk in baseball over the last few days, in part due to Justin Verlander and his comments, but also just in general, about juiced baseballs and essentially ba uh, Major League Baseball winding baseballs tighter so that they go harder off the bat and fly farther uh, because, in theory, baseball wants home runs and more offense. Now, Rob Manfred is denying this, but... There have been a bunch of studies that prove that that's happening, and probably this is just kind of a thing that's mostly for PR. Um, and and baseball owns the company that makes their baseballs Rawlings. But I, I think if they're not going to come clean, I think that's that, that's not really a good look, particularly if the home runs continue to fly. And even if they're not being juiced, I think it's still interest. Or I think it should still be done. I think there should still be research done by the league uh, about maybe reducing or f finding a way to limit the number of home runs. Because the pace right now that they're setting is ridiculous, and I don't know if it's going to continue. But if it does, it's seriously worth cons considering doing something to limit the number. I don't think mound changes are really the answer in any situation, or moving it back or forward or up or down. I think it's better to just try to do other changes that won't change the, the dynamics or the, the dimensions of the game. Fans want to see the long ball, but not that much. Off topic, and I say it with the same inflection every time. Uh, I talked about the Big Bang Theory like a few months ago, and I'm going to talk about Young Sheldon now because I recently was on a plane or something and I was watching it and I came back and I binged all of I think season two uh, because well I wanted to and and that was all that was available on CBS All Access by the way can I tell you what a like a bad service CBS uh, CBS All Access is they advertise themselves they're, they're basically like CBS is being really protective of their stuff and trying to advertise CBS All Access as like the streaming service that you should use instead of like Hulu or Netflix or whatever but they don't because of like copyright or, or holdings issues or whatever they don't even have access to their full like their full thing or, like you can't watch all of the shows that you want to watch it's even worse than Hulu and Netflix and but anyway uh, Young Sheldon is the supposedly the prequel to the Big Bang Theory focusing on the main character Sheldon. And I think it's it's very different. And it's very different in many aspects because it's a single camera. Um, this The whole style is very different. It's presented as more of the quote-unquote smarter comedies we're seeing nowadays instead of the old multicam, live audience, that type of thing, which is what its predecessor, or, well, yeah, its predecessor was. And I think it's 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 worth doing because it's kind of a different side to the universe of that show that a lot of people never got to see. Um, and it, it, it goes far to kind of allow... It's a smart move from Warner Brothers CBS because it allows them to kind of dictate a narrative. And some people have a problem with that. I don't really, um, because so far they've stayed pretty close to the description of the family that we saw on the real show. Um, and I think as long as they do that, there's a little room to stray. I mean, the fans won't like it. I won't like it. But, I mean, I, I'll understand it. Um, and ultimately, it's it's making a lot of money for them, I'm sure. it's a, They've casted well. It's interesting that the person who plays Sheldon's mother on Young Sheldon is actually the daughter of the person who plays his mother on The Big Bang Theory. 
Um, but anyway, I think that's reasonable uh, to to say, and I I think that that show will stay on the air for a while. Although they've got a lot of interesting plot points to run over, like Sheldon's dad dying when he was fourteen, which with the pace of the show would make it season five. Um, and also just child actors growing and is any problem with a show like this. Um, but I think, based on what I've seen, it's worth watching, and it's a great kind of start and development uh, to, to, that, to that universe. Thank you so much for listening to The Long Takes. As always, whether this is episode 1 or episode 100, thank you so much for listening uh, to the show, and we will continue... Um, talking throughout the summer, whether I end up making that one week from now or two weeks from now, uh, is a source, uh, is, is my judgment again, because it's, it's generally a pretty slow time, uh, in the sports world. Now that free agency is kind of, the big names are off the board, uh, with the exception of like Russell Westbrook, and everyone's kind of winding down. We just got baseball right now. I think we might end up taking another week off just because, but um, I guess you guys will see. And so in the meantime, you can check out the podcast everywhere, bit.ly slash thelongtakes, patreon.com slash thelongtakes, thelongtakes at gmail.com. Rate and subscribe on iTunes and Google Play. Send questions, leave voicemails. Uh, thank you so much for listening uh, to episode 100. I've said it a bunch of times. Um, but thank you as always, and I will see you sometime, maybe next week.